Good morning. I feel like after that, that you guys might be expecting an Avenger or superhero. Sorry to let you down. Uh, I'm just Jared, and I am the student ministry pastor here at Olive Branch. Um, but if, if you haven't been here for the last several months, this uh, bumper video is really a, a, a collection of bumper videos, um, a team uh, of bumper videos, and a, a group of Avengers of bumper videos. Uh, from all the series that we have did through this one study um, in the letter to, that Paul wrote to Christians in Colossae. And so today we are actually finishing this letter. And so you'll see, like even in the background today, you can see all the different sort of focuses we looked at um, throughout this letter of Colossians from uh, Simple Faith, the Branded Living series we just did, uh, Jesus No Filter, um, and, and the, the Neverland series that we started it off with about growing and being mature in Christ. And so here we are, we're at the very, very end of this letter and we're going to finish it. Um, but I need, I need to just like let you know that of all the, the, the passages in this letter, this is kind of almost the least straightforward passage. Like typically when we read the Bible, you know, we really uh, draw towards those verses and those passages that look really good, painted on some really nice calligraphy on like some driftwood so that we can hang in our house, like those nice memory verses, scripture verses, right? Like those are the passages we, we tend to draw towards. But today, it's not necessarily that. It, it sort of just feels like something usually we would just read and go, ah, this isn't, this isn't, let's just move on to the next book or the next letter or the next thing or whatever because it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot here, but there is a whole lot here. And, and to be honest with you, we miss a lot of things in the Bible because they, at surface level, don't make sense to us. We don't understand it because we forget that what we're reading uh, is a historical document. And really the Bible is a collection of historical documents and different types of literature, right? And so usually sometimes what a lot of people do, especially if you're a young Christian like I did when I was a young Christian, you just kind of like flip through and you open up and it doesn't like, and you kind of like read something like that doesn't make sense. And I just, to prove a point, uh, I need someone over here, just raise your hand. You don't have to get up or do anything. Just need, okay, sweet, thanks. All right, okay, when, wait, I'm gonna flip through. Just tell me when to stop. Okay, now I need someone over here on this side. I'm going to move my finger around. Just tell me what's that. So I'm going to raise your hand. So, okay, yeah, sure. All right, when I say stop, yeah, I'll st- or yeah, when I say stop. You say stop, and then I'll stop. I think that's how this game works. What? Stop? Okay, stop. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm tired. Um, all right, uh, this we ended up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20 and, John, uh, thir- and verse 38. Uh, and Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick. Do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. So, right? Like when we read that, that's probably not a verse that you're going to like slap on some driftwood and hang in your house. Um, it's, it doesn't, we need a little bit more there. We need the context. We need to know who these people are. And in today's passage, we're going to see that Paul sort of lays out, he kind of goes through the section where he talks about people he does ministry with, people that he's working with. And then he goes into a couple verses of, and hey, go say hi to this church over here. Go interact with this church over here. And then he kind of ends with encouraging someone and speaking to someone within the church at Colossae. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Let's pray before we get into this. God, we thank you so much for bringing us together. I just pray that you would be in this time, Lord, that you speak through me. Help me to speak clearly um, uh, but that in this moment, God, it would bring us closer to you and closer to each other. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so 
To start us out, I'm just going to go right into this, and we are going to read today's passage. I'm going to read the whole thing all the way through, Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And you will see why, uh, after I read this and found out that this was the passage I was going to be preaching on, I was like, uh, hey, Greg, like, what exactly do you want this sermon to be on? Um, so let's get into this. All right, Colossians 4, 7 and on. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful, beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, and that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So it sort of feels like this passage is just like how to say hi to each other a little bit. And so what we're not going to do is spend 40 minutes greeting each other. That part of the service as an introvert is my scariest part of going to church. Uh, so we're not going to do that. That's not what this passage is about. Really, we, we, if we just kind of read through this, and to be honest with you, the first time I read through it, I totally missed it. But what this passage is, it's a glimpse of how the church works, of how the church, not a church, but the church functions, right? And, but here's, here's the thing. We sort of have preconceived ideas of how church works, Um, We, whether or not we were raised in the church, I think especially for those who weren't raised in church or those who've never been to church or don't go to church, there's some ideas on what they think church is like. And these are certainly some things that I had. And so this is a meme I found to help illustrate this. Uh, And so in the top left corner, this is, it says, what society thinks I do as a Christian, as a church, we just come together and we raise our hands to some okays sometimes bad music, and dance horribly. Uh, And then there's this idea of what pastors want me to do. Oh, pastors are just people who talk a lot and then ask for my money so they can buy a new suit. Uh, And then there's this idea of what I should be doing. If I go to church, if I start going to church, then I got to be this perfect person. I got to like work in soup kitchens and I got to do good things all the time, 24-7. I have to be this perfect individual. We're going to get to what other churches think I do a little bit later in the message. Uh, But then there's this perception of also like what I think church is for me. Church is this place where I show up and it's where I ensure that I go to heaven. Somewhere in the back, this elevator exists to heaven, Uh, right? Like that's what church is. Like it's I show up to church so I can get to heaven when I die. Um, And then there's this false perception of, well, actually maybe this last one's not so false, uh, what I really do in church. Sometimes it's hard to stay focused, right? We come here, it's a long message, it's in a passage where it's not super straightforward, I'm not putting any anything undrifted out of today's passage, how am I going to stay focused? What's going on on my phone? How's my fantasy football team going? These are just things that I struggle with, right? 
Uh, I didn't sleep well the night before. This guy's voice is super soothing. I'm going to knock out, right? Like, like we carry these perceptions of what church is. And I think even for me personally, I, I didn't grow up in the church. And so what I viewed church as as a kid um, was based on two experiences alone. My first experience, and keep in mind, so I don't want to offend anybody, this is from the mind of an eight-year-old. My mind is already, like, at 32, not all there, but at eight, whoo. All right, so at eight years old, my first church experience, um, I, I was brought to this church, and they go into the children's ministry area, and they bring me into the, you know, the kids' room, and, and they, the, the, some lady asks, hey, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. I'm like, I don't know what that means, so hand raised. And they're like, okay, if you've never spoken in tongues or don't know how to speak in tongues, raise your hand. I'm like... Still figuring out English. Uh, and so they bring us to, they bring me and a handful of other kids who rose our hand to the back room and, or into this room and we sit down on the floor, crisscross applesauce and it's me, like three or four other kids, lady on the floor, she does this prayer, we pray after her, she's like, okay, you're good, you're going to heaven. I'm like, yes, that's, that's it, that's all I had to do. Uh, and, and she goes, okay, now you're going to speak in tongues. I'm like, okay. Like, English is hard, but here we go. Um, and so she, and keep in mind, from the mind of an eight-year-old, this is what I perceived. This is how I remember it. Whether or not this is exactly how it went, I don't know. But she just started to, and me and the kids looked at each other like, oh my gosh, she's having a seizure. What do we do? I don't know. My medical, like, knowledge is Band-Aids. It stops there. Like, I don't know how to help this lady. And so we're like, okay, I guess we just join in. And so then we just, and I started going so long and like so fast, I forgot to breathe and I like started to pass out. She's like, oh, the Holy Spirit. And like, and so that was my first experience. I'm like, wow, okay, church is crazy. The next early experience I remember, I stayed the night at my friend's house on a Saturday night. So I had to go to, to uh, Catholic mass with him on a Sunday morning. So I stopped staying at his house on Saturday nights after that. But we... We go, to, we go to Mass in the morning. I don't know what's happening. Stand up, sit down, kneel, all this stuff. Really cool. And I'm trying to figure it out. And, like, it's really beautiful building and all this stuff. And, and then it comes, comes time where everybody gets up and they start walking to the front in line. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And then I see, oh, they're giving out snacks. Yes, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I'm like, let's go get some Jesus. And so we get in line. And if people are holding out their hands. And so I start to put my hands out. And my buddy goes, no, 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 don't do that. And I'm like, what are you what do you mean? He goes, you're not Catholic. You got to cross your, you got to go like this. The only Catholic, like you can't take, but I'm like, I'm hungry. He goes, no, that's not what it's about. And, and so I get, I'm like cross. So I'm like, I'm supposed to cross my hands. Do I need to cross my legs? Am I going down a water slide into a secret baptismal or something? Like what is that? So I get there, I cross my arms and, and the priest goes, hits me on the forehead. And I'm like, did you just punch me in the face? I'm sorry. I'm not Catholic. I don't know. Like, can I have a snack now? And, and, and like, I don't know that he actually, but I just remember feeling like I got punched and he hit me hard. And, um, I never, I've not seen that. Maybe it was just that guy only at that, uh, Catholic church. Um, and so my perception of what church was is, man, it's, it's a weird place with weird people doing weird things. And you have to be in the club to get snacks. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> Right, And so we have these false assumptions of how church works, but what we see, and really in this first section, the first verses 7 through 14, uh, we get this huge list of people. And if we read it, it just kind of feels like a list of people saying hi, but I'm going to give you uh, some information, some background on who these people are, and, and, and we'll see something kind of cool that comes out of that. And so we have Paul, who's writing the letter, right? 
He's formerly known as Saul's Jewish leader. He persecuted the church and arrested and killed Christians and, and was responsible for all that until Jesus got a hold of him and started using him to do ministry and spread the gospel, okay? We have Tychicus. He was one of Paul's associates, and I like to refer to him as his hype man because Paul would send him on his behalf to tell people how he's doing and, and what's going on and how the ministry's doing and to encourage people. We have Onesimus, who was a former or more likely a current slave actually from Colossae, who is bringing this letter back um, and, and having to sort of reconcile, hey, I know I left and snuck away and I did some bad things, but I'm back, hey, and I'm a Christian now, right? And so we have him, he's coming. We have uh, Aristarchus, he's in a companion and did ministry with Paul. We have Mark, wrote the Gospel of Mark, also previously unfriended Mark on Facebook a few years prior to this. Him and, and Mark and Paul had sort of a falling out, a disagreement in ministry, and went their separate ways. And so it's cool to see now that they actually have reconciled that relationship and are doing ministry together. We have Justice, who is another co-worker, did ministry with Paul and traveled with Paul, also known as Jesus, but not the Jesus, and so probably went by a justice for obvious reasons. Uh, we have Epaphras, who was a, a, actually from Colossae and worked with Paul, and so represented Paul. And, and because the people know who Epaphras is, Paul kind of takes a little bit extra time to say, hey, he's doing a really good job in trying to serve and, 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 and do this ministry and work. He's doing a really good job and let them know and compliment him and celebrate his hard work. Something that I think we need to do a better job of in the church is really celebrate and encourage uh, those uh, who are serving in the church. And I don't mean just like staff people or pastors. I mean everybody who serves in ministry all over in the church, not just a church, right? Um, and then we have Luke. He's a doctor, and uh, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts, and he worked with Paul. And then you have Damas, who was a co-worker and a partner with Paul, who actually later will end up abandoning Paul, abandoning ministry, and just pursuing stuff in the world. And so we look at this list and you just, you read through and it's just kind of like all these people are saying hi to each other. But what's really cool about that, about this, is it shows us that when the church, or for the church to work, the church works as an organization. This is a huge, like there's a lot of strategy and a lot of organization that goes into a bunch of people from all over the place working together to advance the gospel and encourage people in growing in their faith and in their relationship with Jesus Christ. An organization is simply just a group of people working together in an efficient and orderly approach to accomplish tasks. In other words, a church is just a group of people, a group of imperfect people working together in an efficient and orderly approach to accomplish what Jesus has called us to do. That's what church is. Church is an organization. It requires organizing. It requires strategy. And to be honest with you, it takes a lot of different type of people. You have doctors and slaves, former deserters and, and, and enemies and, and bad friends and murderers and future deserters and all these people from different religious backgrounds, some Jews, some Gentile, from all over the place. But they're all together and they're all following Christ and all trying to do ministry together. The church requires a lot of people, it requires everybody, and it requires them to be organized. For the church to work, we have to be organized. In these next two verses, Colossians 4, 15 through 16, he gets into talking about how to interact with a nearby church. So he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. 
So it's like, okay, what does this have to do with us? Because this is clearly just like something that these people were supposed to do. I don't know where Laodicea is. Probably can't get there. It's probably in the Middle East, right? Here's the thing. Laodicea was roughly about nine miles away from Colossae. So for them, that was about a day's trip. So you think about us, right? Nine miles, within nine, a nine-mile radius all around Olive Branch, we have so many churches surrounding us. But then if you kind of extend that to the same concept, a day's trip away, like we're talking San Francisco, Arizona, Vegas, even Mexico, and you think about all the churches in that area, and what's really cool about this is that he uses this language of brothers and sisters. In other words, the church works as a family. When we are a church, when, when you go to church, it's not just going to a place, but you're going to be with people. It is 100% about family. And it's not just the church you're in. It is the church you're in. It is not just Olive Branch that we're all sitting here together that makes us family. It is the church. Everybody who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior are a part of the same church. We're all a part of the same Family, yet, I'm going to go back to that meme that I had in a minute, we, we oftentimes carry a view of churches around us that isn't super healthy. And that is, what the bottom left corner here, uh, what other churches think I do, it has the bad guy, right? Like, we view other churches sometimes as the bad guy, or people, or we feel like people view the church we go to as the bad guy. Like, they do church wrong. The way they're, though their preaching isn't, isn't super, like, theologically sound, or the way they do worship isn't really, like, the best, the right way to do worship music, and, and like, how they do their offering, or the way that they've designed the room, and all the lights and whatever, right? Like we, we sort of look at these other churches and at the same time churches will look at the church you attend. And there's this sort of judgment that kind of comes down on churches for differences and stuff. And what we have to get past is that the churches around us are not, the, and when I say churches around us, I mean the Christian churches, right, who are preaching the true gospel. They are not our competition. They're our companions. They are our family. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are not our competition, they are our companions. And yet, what happens is, people will leave a church, and I've seen this, and this was like one of the hardest things for me to deal with early on in going, because I didn't really start calling church home until I was in my early 20s, or really until I was 20 years old. And, and learning and seeing people leave church, that was really hard for me. Coming from a child, uh, from a family of divorce, seeing people leave church was super hard because I thought, this is like one place where people shouldn't divorce. This is one place where people shouldn't leave and be upset. And yet the problem is, is people will view church and treat church like they're dating in junior high. How many of you have ever dated in junior high? Did anybody in here date in junior high? Have well, we're just not a church. A lot of people have not raised their hands. Actually, last Saturday night, there was a lot of junior high daters. Uh, I don't know what that says about Saturday night service. But um, so for those of you that don't know, it's okay. You were just wiser than the rest of us who did date. Um, when you date in junior high, for me, my longest relationship I had was two weeks. That's a long time in junior high. Because usually in junior high, you're not celebrating your like one year anniversary or your month anniversary or really even a week anniversary. You're like, this is our third period anniversary. It's just, it's flown by, you know, ever since first period. I needed a pencil. He had a pencil. It was great. It was love at first pencil. And, you know, and if you, like, you're celebrating, by the end of the day, right? But then it's like, 
you know, it doesn't work out, you break up because, you know, I just I can't do long distance relationships, you live like two miles away and we're not going to see each other, I just can't do it, so we got to go our separate ways, right? And what's sad is, is in that breakup, right, here's the sad part, not the, the fact that like, you know, they only last a day, but the sad part is, is when people break up in junior high typically, and even high school, and sometimes even as adults, they tear each other apart. They, they, they rip the other person down and tear them down and, and, and who they are in their name. And it's so visceral and it's so nasty because it's like, you know what, if, I'm, if we're going to break up, if this isn't going to work, it can't be because of me. Because if a relationship's right, they're multiple people. So if they don't work, it's probably multiple people's fault. And we often don't like it to be our fault. And so we say, no, this person did this wrong and that wrong and this. And, and we do the same thing in church. This church did this wrong and that wrong. And they didn't talk to me. They didn't treat me. They weren't there for me. No one talked to me. No one said hi. The teaching's watered down, whatever it is. And we, I see people rip apart the churches they come from as though they were totally perfect and come into the new church. And, and what's funny is, is someone will leave, I've experienced this, will leave the church I'm at complaining about something and, and someone will come in to our church saying that that's our strength and that that's why we're here. And so I was like, who's right? And it's like, it's not the place, right? It's, 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 it's people it's relationships. And so when we leave a church, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever leave a church. There's definitely reasons to leave a church. You're moving, you get a new job, you want to be in a ministry and that church doesn't offer it and you feel like that's your calling, your gifting, and so you're going to go to the church that does where you can serve in that way, right? Good reasons to leave a church to move and all this stuff. You feel called, whatever the case may be. But if it's an issue between you and an individual, man, that church is not failing you. You were just having an issue with another brother or sister in Christ within the church. Because in reality, if you ever leave a church, it's more like you're going from one bedroom in the house to another bedroom in the house. It's the same house. It's all one family. It's all one church. And so when we leave a church, we're not leaving a place, we're leaving people. And so if you're going to leave, leave it in peace and not in pieces. And some of us here, maybe, or maybe you have or you know someone who has left a church because of an issue they had with a person. Well, let me encourage you or, or encourage you to encourage someone you know to reconcile that relationship with their brother and sister in Christ. I'm not saying you got to go back to that church or tell them to do that, but reconcile that relationship with your brother and sister in Christ because there might come a time where God will bring you back together like he did with Paul and Mark to do ministry together. And if ministry is not going to happen because of your pride and your issues with someone, that's a sad thing. Set aside your pride reconcile those relationships. Church is not a place, it is people. We are a family. The church works as a family. My favorite thing I get to do in, in church is partner in, in working in a church, is partner with other churches. I've been blessed to be able to um, serve in uh, multiple countries in Africa with multiple churches in Haiti, in Mexico, in Compton. I love partnering with other churches to put together summer camps and winter camps for students. Um, right now, I, I get to, uh, since I've been here the last year and a half, two years, uh, I, there's a, a ministry that, that goes on to school campuses, high school campuses, and El Cerrito Middle School here called Real Life Ministry. It was actually started by Living Truth, which is another church in the area. And, um, and I've been able to join together with them and other churches. And we go together, not as multiple churches, but as one church, 
reaching out. And, and what we do is we bring pizza onto campus because we want the kids to come in. We're like, hey, come get some pizza. Whoop, Jesus. I mean, we still give them pizza, you know. Um, but we want them to know that there's some truth out there. And we want them to know that we're here not just to like for one time to hang out, but we want to feed them physically and spiritually. And, and we want to be able to pray with them, and we want to get them connected, and we want to get them into church. And what's really cool is none of us who are involved in this ministry, and I wish every church in the area was, none of us care where they go to church. I mean, we all do a little bit, because like those of us doing this, this is like our calling, right? We love serving students, and so obviously we want students to come so we can serve them and be there for them and pour into them. But that being said, what, all we really care about is that they go to church somewhere where the gospel is being preached. That is it. Because ultimately, it is not about increasing the attendance of a Sunday or a weekend service. It is about increasing the population of the kingdom of heaven. That's it. That's what ministry is about. That is the purpose. It is not about increasing attendance on the weekend, but about increasing the population of the kingdom of heaven. And that happens best when we view the church as a family. Let's get rid of this slide. Colossians 4.17, next verse. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. All right. This is probably the best verse of the whole morning, the best passage of the whole morning. Um, Archippus is a guy who is obviously in Colossae. He, we read in the letter to Philemon that he lives in Philemon's house, so he's probably Philemon's son, which means that Onesimus, one of the guys bringing this letter, uh, was his runaway, like, you know, the slave that, that took off, did some bad things, left, and is now come to know Christ, coming back, trying to reconcile that relationship. So that's who Archippus is. But he also has a ministry that he's been called to, to oversee, be it pastoring the church in Colossae or something else totally different, whatever the case may be, he has been given a specific ministry to do to help the church function. And Paul can see or has heard that he is having a hard time with it. He's either getting tired of it or feeling burnt out or like he's not doing a good enough job, whatever the case may be, he needs some encouragement to just keep going. And what I love about this is that it's a great reminder ultimately that the church works because I work. Not like, hey, welcome to Olive Branch. This place is awesome because Jared Zimmerman is on staff. No, the church works because I work, a.k.a. you. You work. I want you to like, say that to yourself, right? not all together because that's weird. But, and I'm, not, I just, I'm uncomfortable with that. But say it to yourself right now and believe it that, that the church works because I work. The church works because I work. So why don't we all serve in the church? When I say the church, I mean the church. It doesn't have to be at Olive Branch, but in ministry, doing kingdom work. Why don't we all do that? Well, the number one answer, we're busy. And I get it. Like, especially here in, like, Corona, Riverside, Norco, right? Like, if you have a job in Orange County, you basically have to pack a suitcase to get to your job, you know? And, and your passport. Like, you need it all. It's that far. Um, not that it's far, but, you know, the freeway's fun. Uh, and, and on top of that, you, you, you're, you're married or you got kids or all those things. Or you're working to get those things. Maybe you're in school, right? And so, like, life is busy. It is hard. And so, man, it's sometimes hard just to even show up to church. Some of you in here are like, hey, man, don't tell me to, like, do things. Like, just be glad that I'm here. Like, you know how hard it was to wake up this morning? I worked so late last night. Or I got to get to a shift right after this. Whatever. And, like, I get it. 
Trust me, I get it, but that doesn't excuse any of us from serving in the church. And again, the church, not just Olive Branch, but the church. Maybe you feel like you're not skilled enough, or sometimes it just feels like an obligation, or you know what? No, that's the pastor's job. That's the staff people's job. I mean, I tithe, so it's kind of like I'm their boss anyways. Like, we're good. Thanks for laughing at that one. I'm always unsure how that's going to go off. But... (laughs) Right? And, and that's sometimes like the, a mindset. I do it with all kinds of sin in my life where you just say those little justification statements to make yourself feel like, no, nah, it's not a sin. I'm good. I'm doing, doing life right. And then Jesus comes in and is like, oh, and you're like, no. Sorry. Uh, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's just me. Um, right? And so we make these excuses, but the reality is we are not supposed to be spectators. And I'm not referring to tiny little potatoes. That'll make sense in a minute. We are called to be participators. Someone just got it. We are not meant to be spectators. We are called to be participators. And I know this because the Great Commission wasn't just for the original disciples, right? Go, therefore, baptize people of all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That wasn't just for the original disciples. If it was, then, like, the church would have ended 2,000 years ago. And yet here we are. A couple thousand years later, millions of people all over the world gathering together as a church, worshiping the same Lord, trying to encourage each other and grow in their relationship with Christ together. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there's a varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each. Every single one of us who has confessed that Jesus is Lord and believes in him, guess what? You got the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You've been given some gifts to do some good. And that doesn't mean, like, my spiritual gift is sitting in a seat on Sunday. Like, I'm doing pretty good right now. I don't know about you. I don't know where that accent came from, but there it was. Right? Like, like you're called to do good, not just come and watch good. That sounds narcissistic. Uh, right? But you are called to do good. We are all gifted to serve. And so with that, I echo Paul's encouragement to Archivist to all of us, and that is to fulfill the ministry. This idea of fulfill. Oh my gosh, I forgot the most important. I need a small cup. Stat. There's a cup under that chair right down there. I'm coming over here. I'm interacting with the audience. Hey, how's it going? Sweet. That happened. Life's real. All right. Uh, It's okay. That'll tie into an illustration. Is this one good? Okay, we're good. All right. So this word to fill, fulfill the ministry in Greek really means to complete and to fill up. And there's actually this really cool moment that illustrates this in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding. I'm out of shape. That was a long run. Um, <laughs> this would be the service that we're broadcasting on Facebook. Awesome. Uh, right? And so in John chapter 2, Jesus is at a, at a wedding, and, and they run out of wine, which that's not a good wedding. And so Jesus' mom is like, Jesus, you got to fix this. And so she goes over to the servants, hey, whatever he tells you to do, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And so they have these huge jars, 20, 30-gallon jars, and, and Jesus says, hey, fill them with water. And it says that they took them, and they filled them to the brim. 
That's what we're called to do. When Jesus calls us to do something, we are to fulfill that calling. We are to fill it to the brim. Not like, yes, I filled my cup. Look how full that is. Now, you might say that that's a full glass, but when you go through a drive-thru and you pay like $20 for a soda, you're like, um, excuse me, ma'am, sir, human, can you give me the other 75 cents of my beverage, please? Give me the full thing. Fill it completely. And we have to remember, right, the church is a family. And so I use this illustration with, with people who lead in student ministries, with people who choose to volunteer in student ministries. And I say, listen, serving is like filling a cup. It's, it's or family. Church is a family. When you're doing ministry, it's genuinely about building relationships with people and helping them build their relationship with their Lord, right? And so if you if you, you know, if you're there on Sundays, awesome. You know, if you come every Sunday, great. There's some more. When you come on Wednesdays, when you go to church events, when you go to camps, when you text them throughout the week, when you comment on their social media, right, you're pouring into their life. You're building that relationship, creating depth. But the problem is it's not like, okay, we did one year of Sundays. Congratulations. Or, okay, you prayed the prayer of accepting Jesus and speaking tongues. Now I'm done. Peace out. Have a nice life. That's not the case. Because what happens is sin is in the picture, right? I sin. The student sins. We all sin. We all have mistakes. The enemy comes in and tries to tear us apart. And so we oftentimes, we need to continue coming. We need to keep pouring into each other because our mistakes separate us from our, or separate us and hurt our relationship with each other and hurt our relationship with God. And so we have to be continual. We have to keep feeling forever and ever. As long as there's breath in our lungs, And until Jesus comes back, we have to fulfill the ministry that he has called us to do. Fill it up completely to the brim. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not ready. I don't don't even know where to serve. Let me tell you, when I started serving in ministry, three weeks prior, I overdosed on drugs. Marijuana, ecstasy, shrooms. There's kids in the room, I'm sorry. Uh, Bad stuff, right? overdose three weeks later, and, and I started going back to church, and, and I started praying, God, I just, I felt like I needed to be more than a spectator. I felt like I'm being poured into, I, I want to pour back, and so I started praying, God, how do you want me to serve? And two days later, I didn't tell anybody, two days later, the youth pastor calls me, I was like, hey, we, we, we want you to serve as a leader in youth ministry, and I'm like, hey, you know, like three weeks ago, I like just overdosed, right? And he's like, yeah, we know that. We, we, we you, you told us that. But we see how much you just are desperate to pursue Jesus right now. And that's all our students need. You don't, you don't need to be ready. I'm going to read from Luke 5, 1 through 11 real quick to just show you what it looks like to be called. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus, at Jesus on his knees saying, Depart from me, 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so were all of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They dropped their nets and followed Jesus. They were not ready. They were fishermen. They were not religious leaders. That's it. They were just fishermen. They were not ready, but you don't need to be ready. You just need to be willing to serve Christ. You don't need to be ready. You just need to be willing. And I think sometimes we think that we need to be perfect to get it figured out. You don't need to be perfect. And I was reminded this week, uh, our air conditioning was out in our office. So I had to office out of one of the, the classrooms here. And on the teacher's desk was this crate with this uh, paper on it. It says, mistakes are proof that you were trying. And it was just like in my head all week long. And it's such a great reminder, man. You're going to make mistakes. If you've been at Olive Branch long enough, I'm sure you've seen some mistakes. I'm sure we've let you down. I'm sure people have let you down. And if, even if this is your first day, you've probably already felt let down. Like, we are not perfect people, right? We are going to make mistakes, and you don't need to be perfect to serve. You don't need to be ready. You just need to be willing. You just need to try. That is it. And the last thing is this. We need to try in the Lord. This ministry received is in the Lord, and all that that simply means is what we do how we do ministry, it's not for people, it's for Jesus. He is the one that we are serving. He is the one that, that we are doing this for. Whether you're in student ministries or uh, you're on the host team, yes, you are bringing donuts and coffee outside and helping collect the tithes and greeting people, or, or if you're in children's or the nursery, yes, you're changing a baby's diaper, but ultimately everything we are doing for people or with people is really for Christ. We've been reading this book called The E-Myth as a Staff, and uh, it is really a book about how to like, operate and own and start a small business, which has been hard to translate to a church a little bit, but it's created really good dialogue to help us as a church to improve our organization process as a staff. And one of the topics this week was demographic, knowing your demographic, who's your demographic. And as a church, I think sometimes we feel like, oh, our demographic is elderly people, or our, our demographic is young families, or our demographic is El Cerrito, or Corona, or Norco, right? Like we have all these ideas of what demographic is. And, and Brian, uh, who oversees the tech ministry here at Olive Branch, just said when he was reading that chapter, man, it just hit him that our demographic is Jesus. Jesus said that whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We are serving him in the process. That's why when there's issues between us, we fix that relationship. Because it's about Jesus and not our pride. So we have to remember that the church works when we are organized. When we're organized as a family and each of us is filling our cups to the brim that we have been called and gifted to fill. So I just want to take this opportunity just to respond, to give you guys an opportunity to respond. There's a few different ways for you to do that. These cards are in the back seat in front of you every week. And we, the point is to help us connect. When you become a larger church, right, 
we can't just sit here and have a, a back and forth conversation. So we need ways to connect and make sure that everybody feels belonging. Everybody is a part of this family. And so this blue card in front of you is a commitment card that it's really for people. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never said, okay, I'm dropping my nets, I'm dropping my excuses. I'm not ready, but I am willing to follow Jesus who died for my sins. Because I know no amount of good that I do will ever repay my wrong. But only what Jesus did on the cross can do. And so I'm going to follow him. Then, then write, fill this out. Bring it back to someone on the prayer team or come talk with a leader in the church. We'll pray with you, but we want to connect with you. So fill this out. Let us know. Maybe you're in a place you just, you need prayer. We all need prayer. Let's be honest. And we either need prayer for something or we need to be thanking God for something and praising him for something. So let's do that together as a church. Fill this out. Let's pray together. You can pray with someone now in the back of the room. Or you can write this down and we can pray for you as a church and send it out to our prayer team. And the last thing is this next steps card, which is a green card. And it's really just saying, you know what? I am ready for Olive Branch to be my home. I want a key to this place. This is my home. I want to call this place home. When I walk in, I don't want to feel like a stranger. I want to see brothers and sisters. And I want to start feeling like I'm a part of a family. Make this place your home. Make a church your home. And commit. Become a member be baptized if you've never been baptized, but ultimately serve, man. You want to really grow in your faith? Try and help someone else do the same thing. That's going to stretch you. Join a small group. So fill this out and we'll connect you. And if you don't know, and there are so many ways to get plugged in and start serving here. We have a wall in the foyer right now, a wood wall with all kinds of different ways to get plugged in and start serving here in this church. And so look at that. Pray about that. Ask God, God, how do you want me to get plugged in? How do you want me to do ministry in your church? Is it here at Olive Branch? Is it at another church? Is it in the mission field? Whatever it may be, pray and ask God, how does he want to use you? How has he gifted you? So let's pray together. God, we just, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time and uh, just to come together and, and, and really get a cool glimpse at how the church kind of started and how it functioned early on when churches were so spread out and so far apart and leadership was so few. So God, we just ask that, I ask that you help every single one of us in this room to know where you want us. God, make it clear to everybody in this room what our gifts are and how you want us to use those for you. Help us to be a part of making the church work, God. Help us to be participators and not just spectators. And thank you for loving us no matter how many times we fail in that process. Serena, we pray. Amen.